Now imagine with me that uh, God is thinking about the way you are living and serving right now. Right? What do you think God makes of the way you're using your gifts, uh, the way you're using your talents, uh, and the way you're using the resources that God has given you to manage on His behalf? Do you think if God was in your shoes, he would share your attitude, your priorities, and your goals? you think he would serve as you are serving or not serving? Does he agree with your mission in life? Now, I'm asking these questions uh, because we are currently looking at the marks of true Christian ministry. And the question we're asking is, how does God expect us to serve him? That's the question. How does God expect us to serve him? And to help us answer this question, we are looking at how the Apostle Paul served God in his life. What did living a successful Christian life for Christ meant for Paul? And Paul has recorded his answer for us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 3. These verses are really a mission statement of the life of Paul. What was Paul's priority in his life? And as we've been reading these verses, I hope it has become clear to you that the top priority in Paul's life is to point people to Christ. It is to proclaim Christ. That was the priority of Paul. Paul believed that God's definition of a successful life is a life that uses the gifts, talents, and resources that God has entrusted to us to support the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. God expects you to live in a way that makes Christ known in the church, in your home, on your street, At your school, at your place of work, at your local hangout, your local Starbucks or wherever you hang out or Nando's, wherever you're found, as you're walking in the park, God expects us to make Christ known. He expects our ministry and our saving of him to be centered on Christ, to proclaim Christ, not ourselves, but Christ. To promote Christ, not us. And we find this key lesson in verse 25 to verse 28. Uh, we just read, Let me just read that for us again. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his sense. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone in Christ. There's a lot lot in that verse. In fact, we could probably spend a month just looking at those words. But I just want to share two important truths that Paul really is teaching us from this. And they are on your outline. 
The first truth is that God has given us new life with Christ. That's the first thing Paul wants us to understand. Before we can point people, others to Christ, we need to understand what we've received. God has given us new life with Christ. Now, over the last decade, there has been a dramatic rise in the number of superhero films or the superhero genre. It seems that's all we get in cinemas these days, right? I mean, there's Doctor Strange 2 out there at the moment. And they just keep coming. And it's not just television, all the streaming services now, from YouTube to Twitch or whatever it is out there, they're just doing this thing. Video games and every celebrity medium that you can think of now has superheroes there, in some shape or form being promoted. The appetite for superheroes entertainment is bottomless. <clears throat> Which of course begs the question, isn't it? What is driving this insatiable demand for superhero films? Well, according to the culture and film experts, the reason is that Western civilization, society, is now increasingly anxious and gloomy about life in general. We look around the world and everything is fractured. Society, politics, the international order, environment, culture, religion. There is a sense of helplessness and hopelessness and darkness all around us. Yes, it looks sunny, but it's gloomy out there. Especially in 2022 with the rise in the cost of living. Carmen Petasho, writing in the Atlantic, says this, the cinema superheroes have become the contemporary American equivalent of Greek gods. In short, what he's saying is that we are looking for heroes as we live in this dark world. As a civilization, we need someone to look up to, to fulfill us. We are searching hard and we can't seem to find anyone. So what we've done is gone pagan. We have created new gods. New technological gods, we might call them. Petasha says we have created mythic characters who embody, listen to him, who embody our loftiest hopes, deepest insecurities, and flaws. Petasha is actually a liberal. He's just explaining. That's, the Atlantic is a liberal magazine. He's saying we are looking for salvation now in fiction. Now, there is some truth in that. But I think the deeper truth we are drawn to this superhero, in addition to that, is that our civilization is trying to get in touch with our real true superhero we rejected long ago. Think about the basic plot of a superhero film. It's quite simple. Uh, the world starts off okay, and then some evil person comes on the scene, and then bad things happen, right? That's, that's, that's the plot. Uh, people try and sort out the bad guy on their own, right? They sort of try to save themselves, but it never works. Thankfully, the superhero shows up. It could be Superman, it could be Batman, whoever it is, right? This superhero actually usually tends to resemble the people he's trying to save. In some way, he's usually like them, and yet he's supernaturally different from them. And so our heroes come on stage, he, he battles for us. And then usually at some cost to himself, he overcomes our enemies. And then, of course, we live happily thereafter. 
I think the young people can recognize the plot, right? I'll double check with them later. But that's the plot. The, the, the superhero films, like most human stories actually, follow the Bible's pattern. Creation, fall, redemption, and cons- consummation. That's in every story. And of course, that's the story we find in the Bible. And of course, that should not surprise us. It's not an accident because... The God who co-authored the Bible with human beings also created us. So it's no surprise that we imitate him even when we make superhero films. Most importantly, we write these stories which mirror the Bible because we are longing for God. The true superhero to come and save us. And the good news of the Bible, the good news of this passage, is that while we're out looking and longing for God... God had already launched his superhero mission to save us. God's eternal plan of saving us went into action, actually, immediately after we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. When we sinned against God, God banished us from life with him. We became without God and without hope in the world, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. We had no access to the life and presence and glory of God that we once enjoyed. We became spiritually dead. We were condemned to a life of emptiness and chaos in our hearts. That's the default position of every human being when they are born. We desperately needed God to reach out to us. We desperately needed his mercy. And the good news of the Bible is that God never turned his back on us. We turned our backs on him. He was always facing us with eyes of mercy. And God always had a plan to restore us back to himself. And this plan involves God entering this world as a human being to pay the penalty of our sin against him. It involves God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves to give us grace, to show us mercy that we don't deserve. And God revealed this amazing plan in the Bible. He revealed it first to the, prof- he revealed it to the, to the, to the patriarchs, and then he revealed it to the people of God, Israel in the Old Testament itself. Prophets like Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah spoke of this plan. But the key thing is this, God did not reveal this plan at one go, right? His revelation was piece by piece. Think of it like a giant picture puzzle, you know, kids get those, right? And the pieces are scattered everywhere, right? It was a bit like that. And on that giant picture puzzle, the plan of God was written and God was putting it together piece by piece over thousands of years, right? One piece at a time. He started putting it together in Eden with the Evangelion, the promise of him coming to save us, to bruise the serpent. And then he just added more pieces as he called Abraham, as he brought Israel out of Egypt. All puzzle pieces being put together. As he gave the prophecy in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 53, as he spoke of his plan to make everything new in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, one piece at a time. And of course, the entire piece came together, was only finished when God himself appeared in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was the final piece of this amazing 
plan of God. And Paul says that here, doesn't he? He says, this plan of God to save us from sin and live in our hearts was a mystery until God made it known in Christ. Look at verse 26 to verse 27 there in your Bible. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his sense. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the appearance of Christ is the mystery of God that has now been revealed. The final puzzle piece. Christ is a complete fulfillment of God's plan to save sinners. And notice, not just Jewish, Jewish sinners, but also non-Jew. This is one of the great dramas of redemptive history. It is that God, Christ didn't just come for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles as well. The non-Jews. It was always well known that God would send the Messiah to save his people Israel. But the part of the plan that wasn't well understood, sort of hidden, was that God was going to come to bring the Gentiles in. I say sort of hidden because God had already given hints that he had chosen Israel, first of all Abraham and then Israel, as a a vehicle through which God would drive his blessings to the nations. But Paul is saying now that plan is made clear. It is complete. It is fulfilled. Christ is not only here to share life with repentant Jews, he's here now to share life, the life of God, with non-Jews as well. That's verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the pagans, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Gentiles, the hope of glory. The good news of the Bible is that Anyone who repents of their sins and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ is no longer an outsider. God now shares his very life with them in Christ. How is this possible? Well, because Christ is our, is our God. Christ is our true superhero who was put on our flesh to suffer the wrath and judgment of God that we deserve for our sin. And he's gone right there on that Roman cross. Our Lord Jesus bore the very wrath and judgment of God for us. He was crushed for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And Christ didn't just die on that cross. He rose for our justification. He rose to give us new life with God. And when we repented... Of our sin by trusting in the death and resurrection of Christ, God came to live in us. God forgave us our sin and gave us new life with Christ forever. Christ in you, Paul says, the hope of glory. Paul is saying, You were once rebellious, knee deep in your pagan sin. Yes, you wanted to know nothing about God. You walked in the vomit of your sin. But the good news of Christ has changed all of that. The puzzle piece is now complete. Because you are now trusting in Christ. You are now basking in the glorious riches 
of Christ. The very blessings of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What makes life with Christ so glorious? Because of who Christ is. I've said whenever we're reading the word Christ here, the name Christ, always keep Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. That's who Paul has in mind. It changes everything. Our life with Christ is glorious because of who Christ is. Paul has told us that, isn't it? Christ is our Lord, our creator, our sustainer, and our savior. And in verse 27, he's saying, all that Christ is, is now for you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of God in you. God himself is now, in all of his glory, is now living in you. Through Christ. The creator of all things lives in you. The timeless sustainer lives in you. The triumphant head of the church lives in you. The preeminent one lives in you. The reconciler of all things lives in you. Christ in you, the very glory of God. In you. To share life with Christ means that God now completely loves us, approves of us, accepts us, delights in us as his very own. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. All that Christ has now, if we trust in him, is ours. Now, to be sure, we do not experience all the glory we have in Christ in the here and now. There's always a now, but not yet. It is not fully manifested to us, but it will be on that great day. We will bask in full, radiant glory. That's what verse 27 is getting at. Christ in you, the what? The hope, the certainty of glory. Paul is saying we don't have to worry about our future glory because Christ living in us now is a guarantee of that future glory. It's a guarantee of our final glorification. The point is this. Look, the good news of the Bible is that Christ our glorious God has given us life with him now and forever. If you're trusting in Christ, I mean, God is living in you. I mean, I just want to shout it out. Because... I mean, well, that's breathtaking, isn't it? What can we say? Now, we need to pause just a bit in our excitement as we take this truth in. To remember that Christ living in us does not mean that we are now little Christs or little gods. That's new age foolishness. I mean, it has found its way in the church, this little God thing, theology. That's new age foolishness. You know, just with someone from the new age, they are like, you know, these sort of yoga practices and things. They are about, you know, the divine person, that kind of thing, right? That's new age stuff. Paganism. It's just a return of the old paganism. Three gods and all that. The Bible is clear that we are not divine. You are not a little god. There is only one god. He is a creator. He's not part of anything created. He's not a created being. He is other. The good, but the good news of the Bible is that Christ our God is now mysteriously, this God who is other, is now mysteriously living in all who trust in him. 
is living in us without us becoming God. That's the truth of the Bible. God has forgiven your sin and given you a new heart. And then what he's done is that he's taken up residence in that new heart. In Christ. <laughs> to not only love you from outside. But to love you from within. That's what Paul is getting at. I mean, you got to sit and take that in, don't you? It's mind blowing. This truth that God has given us in your life with Christ means that we, we now have everything we need in Christ. And this truth should change everything, beloved. It should change everything in your life. The way you live. Just, just understanding this truth. If all you do, if your Christian life is all about just understanding this verse, it will change everything. I mean, we don't even need to go through Colossians. We can just end it here. It changes everything. Maybe you're a person who is constantly fighting and quarreling with people. You perhaps do it at home. You're always in a fight. Maybe with your neighbors. Maybe at church or maybe at workplace. Maybe at school. You are always fighting. The world always seems at war with you somehow. And you are fighting the world. Why are you living like that? Why are you always living like that? Well, I think the reason you're living like that is that you feel that other people are denying you the piece of the pie. You think that other people are taking your place in the sand, which, which belongs to you. You see, every time you yell at your wife or your husband at home, you are saying, she or he denies you the life that you have always wanted. You are saying, she is stealing life from you, or he is stealing life from me. Every time you gossip, even when you yell at your children, you are saying the same thing. You're saying your kids are stealing life from you. Every time you gossip about a co-worker who says horrible things to you, you do it because you feel your colleagues are denying you the glorious respect that you deserve. Now, the reason, yes, I know that people hurt us. I know people drive us to do these things sometimes. I just want to say the reason you think you need things from people is that you are prone to forget this glorious truth. God has given you new life with Christ. I'm not condoning the hurt that you may be suffering at the moment. But when you react... You are condoning that. Well, you are forgetting this truth. You forget that Christ now lives in you. You forget that you don't need to draw life from people. You have the very life of God living in you. God is already there with you. What more can other people give you? What more do you and I seriously need, given this truth? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Unless you don't have God in your life. Then that explains why you 
you, you, you feel you need the world to satisfy you. But if you have God, you have all you need. And if you're a believer this morning, this truth is calling on you to put the weapons of war down. Put down the knife and bullets of your vicious words. Your fights with others. Your cold-heartedness. Your lukewarmness. There is that as well. But in general, you don't need to attack anyone to show you are right or be respected. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You don't need to be right because Christ has made you right with him. You have all that you need in Christ. You don't need to prove anything to anyone. Who cares if you do not get your way? No, seriously. Who cares if you do not get your way in this world? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Who cares if you lose at family or office politics? Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's what matters. This truth that God has given us life with Christ is also saying to us something else. It is saying to us, if you are suffering this morning, if you are suffering injustice, if you are suffering pain, you are not facing life alone. That's what this truth says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is parenting hard? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is a workplace difficult? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is, 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 uh, is, uh, is, is marriage challenging? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is singleness hard? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are not facing life alone. And if you are especially going through chronic pain, perhaps, or emotional pain, those things can be disruptive, can't they? They can make life feel pointless. But because you know Christ is in you, you know God is your ultimate power source. So you can say with Paul, can you? I delight in what? In weakness. In hardships. In difficulties. For when I am weak, then what? I am strong. You can say with Paul, Christ in me. The hope of glory. So in whatever situation we find ourselves, well, we can be confident that because we are truly in Christ, we share life with Christ. But that's not the reason that Paul is actually sharing fundamentally this truth. This truth should help you do something else, Paul has in mind as well. This truth should enable you and fill you with zeal to proclaim the gospel to everyone. Because you know how wonderful the gospel is. You know how wonderful it is that Christ is in you. Now Paul says, proclaim this. Fueled by that excitement, proclaim Christ to people around you. And this is the second truth I want us to see here. The second truth is that God, the first truth is that God has given us this new life with Christ. And because this wonderful new life is so wonderful, right? We can't help it but proclaim it. Therefore, it makes sense, therefore, the second truth, that God wants us to point people to this new life in Christ, to Christ. And that's the second truth. 
Verse 28, verse 26 says this, doesn't it? 27 to 28, to them God chose to make known how great. Oh, wonderful. Again, just the super duperness, right? How great, right? Among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is saying, I have made a servant of God to reveal the good news of Christ to non-Jews, including you, Colossians. This is what I'm doing. But it's not just for me alone. God has sent all of us, me, Timothy, and others, and yourselves included, to point everyone to Christ. The reason God has called us to serve him is, to, is so that through our servanthood, our suffering, our stewardship, and as we'll see this evening, our hard work, we would make Christ known. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This truth is the, is, is the heart of all Christian work. It's about serving in a way that tells everyone the good news of Christ. Now, of course, for Paul, that meant literally. But the point here is not so much on the speaking, but on the fact that all true Christian ministry should proclaim Christ, should focus on Christ. Notice verse 28 starts with Christ. Him, that is Christ. And how does it end? Mature in Christ. In other words, everything we're doing should be about Christ. We are not doing Christian ministry or serving God in the church or wherever God has placed us if it is not about doing it in the way that points others to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not babysitting or you are not doing mums and tots as you should, which we'll be doing in a couple of weeks, if, we, if that's not about us doing it in the way that honors Christ. True Christian ministry is serving whatever God has blessed us. It's about ensuring that whatever we are doing with our gifts and talent and ministry is about pointing others to him, to Christ himself. God has served you through Christ so that you can live every day to proclaim Christ in whatever he has called you to. Not just within the church, but also in other areas of your life. As a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, as an employee, as a friend, as a neighbor, or as a citizen. To have those ministry avenues for Christ, to focus them on Christ. You are, you are meant to be fruitful at the front lines. We did that Mark Green, didn't we, some years back. Fruitfulness at the front line. It means living fruitful for Christ. To live as a human billboard that points people to Christ. If you're doing Sunday school, it should be about honoring Christ. If you are catching up with a brother or sister, you should be for Christ. I'm not saying you should mention Jesus. I think it's good to mention Jesus, but do it for him. Prayerfully for him. If you're opening a door in the church to welcome a stranger, it should be about Christ being honored. If you are cleaning the church, it should be for Christ. So it's not simply about speaking. You might say, oh, verse 28, I can skip that. Him we proclaim. I'm not good at proclaiming. Well, actually, proclaim Christ with your words and deeds and everything about you. So that Christ may have all the glory and honor and praise. And I just want to emphasize here, the point is that we must proclaim Christ, not ourselves. 
Him we proclaim. Him. The biggest temptation all of us face is that we can often proclaim Christ, but we're just proclaiming us, right? We want people to look to us rather than Christ. And so it's important that we ask ourselves if we're serving, what does proclaiming Christ look like? How do I know that I am all about Jesus and not all about myself? You know, we are in love with the self. So how do we know that if we're doing things, we're doing it for him, not for us? I think one of the tests is that, are you happy to be anonymous? For us to serve Christ in a way that honors Christ, we must renounce the deep craving inside of us for worldly applause. Are you content to be a nobody for Christ? Dare I say to be a dormant for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a person who only wants to do things when people are watching you? Or are you content to serve Christ when no one is looking? And of course, your private holiness moments is a test, isn't it? Why do we sin? Because well, we think no one is looking. Actually, God is looking. So you're not even serving right there if you are thinking God is not looking. But God is looking. If you're going to have a heart of servanthood that all of us should deserve to have, we must have this sense that we are doing it to the audience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you react when someone is praised for something you have done? You know, you're having a chat and somebody's, ah, she did that, she did that, that was so wonderful. And you're there thinking to yourself, I did that? <laughs> that happens in team meetings, doesn't it? I did that. You just want to let everyone relax. You know, it's part of this project. And we deliver it. Can I speak for now, please? We are like that, aren't we? Well, if that's our heart, always drawing attention to ourselves. If we are concerned more about us being recognized than the fact that Christ is pleased with what we're doing, then we are not serving him. We are proclaiming ourselves. And when we serve for the approval of others, we are proclaiming other people, aren't we? We need to do our work with the focus of glorifying Christ in everything we do because that is true success in Christian ministry. And another question, perhaps the final one, you might ask yourself is this, do I tend to do things mainly by myself rather than others, but rather than with others? You know, what struck me when I read this passage in verse 28 is we, used twice there, him, we proclaim that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Don't miss the we. Our tendency to do things on our own may be the sign that we prefer to proclaim it ourselves. English is hard. Proclaim ourselves, right? The sign that we are, we are, we are, we are, the sign, if we're doing this thing, if we prefer to work on our own, it may be simply that we like us to stand out. That's the point. There, there, there are many good reasons. There's some, there's some things that we can only do alone. You know, the, we're thankful to God for the pianist, but we can't have two people there. At, at, it's going to be one at a time, right? But many of the things we do can be done in a team. Now, I know sometimes we are more effective doing things by ourselves, right? There are things, as I said, 
There are things where you're more, two pianists can't work. You need one. But, and so there are good reasons sometimes we do things by ourselves. But sometimes we do things by ourselves because we want to be matters. We, we, we want all the glory to come to us. Doing things on our own. Can, it's, it's not even at work in God's sight, perhaps, in some occasions. It may just be self-focus and pride on our part. And so the we is important, isn't it? Him we proclaim. Paul could have done it on his own, but he says, we proclaim. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I think that's the beauty of the church, because the church forces us to serve with others. And I think that's God's wisdom. Because the wisdom of God there is that by serving with others, well, it takes the focus off us. It stops us being prideful. And so as believers, we should be looking for opportunities in the church not only to serve, but to serve in a way that brings others along. We serve alongside others. Our ministry work should be about building up others. And we should be praying that God raises teams, not long ranges in the life of the church. Well, let me just conclude. Thank you for listening. Just to conclude quickly, true Christian ministry is what? Centered on proclaiming Christ. We are to proclaim the good news of Christ in everything, not ourselves. And to do that, we need to remember these two truths. God has given us new life with Christ. When we are excited about that, then we can do the second truth. Point people to Christ. Unless we are excited about the gospel, we can't point other people to him. So resist the temptation to rely on yourself, to point people to yourself. Ask the Lord to help you point others to Christ in everything you are doing.